Amen. Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18 today as we conclude our study in the book of Galatians. If you've been with us, you know that Galatians is a letter that Paul had written to the church in Galatia. He was writing in response to a false gospel that had been preached throughout Galatia. Paul had gone and planted a church there. He had preached the true gospel, but others had crept in behind him, the Judaizers, and essentially had taught a gospel of works. Now, they had taught that in order to truly be saved, you had to go back to the Old Covenant. You had to apply these works from the Old Covenant uh, in order to truly be saved, particularly uh, the work of circumcision. And so Paul has gone at great lengths to write, to call out this false gospel, and to help the Galatians to understand what it truly means to walk in the Spirit. And so we come today to Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18, to this final passage in this letter. And so out of reverence for God's Word, if you're able to, if you would stand as I read this passage for us. This is what the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. If you would pray with me. Father, there is much that can distract us from hearing your word today. There is much that can run through our minds and our thoughts. There is much that can cloud the truth that we desperately need to hear. But Father, I pray you would do through your Holy Spirit what only you can do, that you would cause the, the blind to see and the deaf to hear. Lord, that you would take our unbelieving hearts and fill them with repentance and belief. Lord, I pray that you would do a gospel work now as we consider your word to us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to this final passage in Galatians, I, I want us to consider something this morning. Imagine I were able to hold out for you in these two hands, two very different options. And this hand, I, I could hold out for you the security of knowing you had eternal life. The, the promises of God and all that they contain. In this hand, what if I could hand to you this morning the promise of peace with God and eternal life and eternity to enjoy the riches of God's kingdom. And in this hand, I held out for you something very different. In this hand, I could hold out for you 
everything the world has to offer. All the money, all the prestige, all the health, you would never want for anything. You would have all the popularity, all the prestige, all the success in your business. Everything would go perfectly with your family, your relationships. It would all be right here. But the catch is this. You couldn't have both. If you had that in front of you this morning, let me ask you a question. Which one do you truly desire? Now notice I did not ask the question, which one would you choose? Because we all know the right answer to that question. We're in church this morning. We, we, we know the right church answer. Well, of course, we should choose the kingdom. Of course, we should choose eternity with God. But, but I'm asking you the question, which one of these do you truly want? Which one of these are you really living your life for? I mean, consider some of the things the world has to offer us. Consider, for example, money. Now, how often are our choices, our decisions, the things in our day-to-day life, how often are they motivated by the bottom line? Now, how much of our time do we spend looking at the bank statement or the retirement statement or the business deal? How much of what we do is motivated by the issue of money and wealth? Or take, for example, health. How often are we motivated by that which will give us better health? How, much, how often do we desire to have better health? What, what would we do in exchange for never having to go to the doctor, never having to go to the hospital, never having that bad report, that word we don't want to hear? What would we give up to rid ourselves of any sickness, disease? Or what about the issue of popularity, prestige? What do we do? How much are we motivated just by the opinion of others, the approval of others? To the younger folks with us today, consider how often you put something out there on social media and then spend your time just looking and looking and looking to see how many people liked this. How motivated are you in what you say and what you do and how you look? The things you laugh at, the things you place yourself in the midst of, how much of that motivation is a desire to fit in? You can go through the list there, success, prestige, power, you name it. What, What would you give to have those things? Jesus asked the question this way in Matthew 16, verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul. Jesus asked this question very clearly in the context of calling people to follow him. And he said if they were going to follow him, they would not have the things of the world, but they would have that that God promised for all eternity. The question is, which do we truly desire? I want us to consider this as we come now to this final passage in Paul's letter to the Galatians because these are the things that are at stake. Paul has not simply written a letter over secondary doctrinal issues or or out of a defense of his reputation. Paul has written to the Galatians because their souls are at stake. Eternal life is the issue here. What is it that truly saves a person? 
What is it that they are putting their hope in? And that is something that we need to consider today all the more because we are so confused. We come to church Sunday after Sunday. We put on our Sunday best. We, we, we know how to behave. We know what we're supposed to look like. But all the while, friends, people are missing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are buying into a man-made religion, this, this form of Christianity in our culture where if you look this way, act this way, do these things, don't do these things, well then you, you fit the mold. We, we are so concerned with the outward appearance, but the question from the text this morning is a question of our heart. Has our heart truly been changed by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? And if it is, how do we know that that change has taken place? Well, we can't look at this issue more seriously. Paul could not address this more emphatically. In fact, notice what he says there as we begin looking at the text there in verse 11. In 11 he says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now I mentioned earlier in our study of Galatians, I believe it was in Galatians 4.13 there, that that we read that, that Paul likely came to Galatia because he, he was sidetracked by some physical ailment. And some believe that it was probably some form of malaria that would cause blindness, and so Paul talks there about a, an ailment of his eyes. Some think that this could be, a, he was just going blind, he son had some blindness disease, it, it could be that. It could be what Paul's doing here is he, as he would often do, is dictating his letter to a scribe and at this point he just grabs the reed out of their hand and begins to write it with his own hands just to say listen to what I'm saying to you and it could be that he's intentionally just writing this in big letters to say this is important whatever the case Paul wants to make sure that the Galatians don't leave this letter without considering these issues of what it truly means to have peace with God of what it truly means to have that which God holds out for us, to receive his mercy, the forgiveness of our sins, past, present, and future, to be at peace with him. How do we get there? Well, he starts by showing us how we don't get there. And we'll address that in the first point there in your outline. Point one is this. Living for man's approval will not give us peace with God. Living for man's approval will not give us peace with God. Notice there verse 12, Paul says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. And Paul here describes the Judaizers as those who want to, they want to make a good show, they want to have a good standing, that they, they want the approval of man. That helps us to understand a bit of the context and, and why this would be so significant, especially connected what, to what was going on in Galatia. You know, the, the, the power in that day, that the influencers in that day, so many were the, the Jewish religious community. And so chances are the Judaizers wanted to, to fit in with that Jewish religious community, and thus they were motivated in their belief to go to the Galatians, these Gentiles, and to have them circumcised so they could report back to this Jewish religious community, look, look, we're, we're making them like you. In fact, it seems here their motivation had nothing to do with the hearts and the souls of the Galatians. It was all about them. It was about how they looked. It was about the approval they would receive from those who mattered to them. 
See, the Judaizers were forcing the Galatians to be circumcised, not because they truly believed that that circumcision would save them, but because it would make them look better. Notice what Paul says there in verse 12. He says the Judaizers were doing this in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. You see, to separate themselves from that Jewish religious community, to say that, no, the circumcision is no longer a matter here, it's no longer important here, well, that would have brought persecution from the religious leaders of their day. So they're seeking to appease them, to, 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 to make, get their affirmation for them, so that they won't be persecuted. In fact, Paul goes on to say in verse 13, they desire to have you circumcised that they might boast in your flesh. So in essence, the Judaizers go around saying, look, look, look at what we've done. Look, look at this great work. Look at us. And so their motivation here was twofold. They, they wanted to avoid the persecution that might come from those religious leaders. And they wanted to win their approval. As I heard one preacher say it once, they wanted to avoid pokes and win strokes. They wanted those attaboys. They wanted that pat on the back. They, 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 they feared what might happen if they did the wrong thing. And Friends, if we're not careful, then we can fall into this same trap. That this desire for man's approval, this living for man's approval. And it comes in those two forms. It comes when we're, when we're motivated by a fear of man's rejection of us and we're motivated by a praise from man we fear rejection and we want their praise what does that look like we'll consider it in your own faith today consider how often we are motivated by the fear of rejection from others consider the things we don't say that we should say because we're fearful for how people respond to them Consider the things we do say and that we laugh at and that we go along with out of fear for how people might respond if we don't. And you want an example? Consider the call to the Christian to share the gospel with others. Now, I have talked at length about this with many believers and I've found that so often those of us who believe in God's word, we understand there's a call there for us to take the gospel to others. There's a call there for us to be a witness and yet time and time again what I found in the lives of others and I found in my own life is that we, we don't witness as much as we should. Some of us never witness at all. And at the core of this so often is a fear that people will reject us. If I really take a stand on this, how will they retreat me? You want to experience rejection in our culture today? Stand up and make the claim, or just identify with the claim that Jesus made. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Friend, if you stand in our culture today, and you say to this culture, Jesus is the only way to God, you will not be praised for that. You'll be rejected. And so, so often we, we don't take that stand. We don't say what we should. Why? Because we're, we're scared that people will reject us. And at the same time, we desperately want their approval. We want their praise. So we do things in order to win that praise and win that approval. And so again, there's many things we, we just don't say. We don't take a stand on. Why? Because we don't want to lose fitting in. Again, you, 
You want to lose the praise of man real quick? Take a stand on what the scripture says in regards to biblical sexuality. Tell a couple that you should not be intimate with one another until you're in a covenant of marriage. Tell our culture that marriage is to be in the context of a man and a woman in a covenant before God. We take a stand on these issues in the scripture, and what happens? We are immediately rejected by the culture, and sadly, often, we're immediately rejected by people in the church. These are not comfortable things, and complacency is comfortable. And so we have become a complacent people, and we desperately desire the approval of man, and we love man's praise. And it's not just outside of these walls, it's inside of these walls. How often are our actions what we say? How often is it just an effort to win the approval of others? How important is approval in your life? How often do you go to bed thinking about how someone thinks about you or what they think about you or, or, or how, how much concern does it give you when someone just makes a critical comment to you? Does it keep you awake at night? Do you just stir over those things? Are you living for the world? Are you living for the Lord? I think Paul gives us a, a clear picture here that the Judaizers were, they were living for the praise of others and they were saying, look at me. And if we're not careful, friends, that's exactly what we do. I mean, how much of your day-to-day -day conversation is about you? How often do you just boast about yourself? Talk about yourself? Instead of talking about Christ. Paul here is pointing out very clearly those who desired the approval of man they, they they pointed to themselves they were doing these things for themselves for their, their their own standing and he he contrasts that with those who who live their lives for christ and clinging to the cross he points us right back to what jesus said in matthew 16 where jesus tells his disciples that if anyone would come after him they have to deny themselves take up their cross and follow him. And then Jesus says this. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Consider that as the test. What evidence is there in your life today that you are losing your life for the sake of the gospel? Well, what fruit is there? That you are dying to this world and the things of it. See, peace with God doesn't come through seeking man's approval. We, we might get peace with man that way. But Jesus says we will lose that which is such more important. If we want to have that peace with God, well, that will come through the cross of Jesus. And that brings us to that next point in your outline. Point two. Peace with God then comes through the cross of Christ. Look at verse 14. Paul says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says here that the Judaizers say, look at me. But Paul says, no, I say look to Jesus. I, I boast in that. Now we read that word boast and we think, well, I don't, you know, should we, we shouldn't boast about things. I mean, boasting, that, that's a braggart. I mean, you really shouldn't boast, should you? Well, well, Paul's saying this in the context here of, of boasting is to take pride in something. 
It's to identify yourself with something. So I, th I think an, an example, an illustration that might help us get a better understanding here is, is how many people are, many of us this morning are, about sports. Many of you, you, you identify yourself with a certain team. You, you identify yourself with them, and then, then when they win, you win. When they do well, you're excited. Anybody here a Kentucky basketball fan? I think there was a game yesterday from North Carolina. I don't know these things. Again, just to be clear, I went to North Carolina State. We hate Duke as much as you do. I, I identify myself with North Carolina State. Many of you identify yourself with Kentucky, other Louisville, others, other teams. So what happens? When, when that team does well, you get really excited. I mean, some of y'all are still excited. You're, you're wearing your logos this morning. You're, you're, you're showing off. And I preached in the first service, and uh, y'all know Janice. She's sitting up in the balcony, and she comes down, and she's got like this UK quilt on. And <laughs> she's like, well, you don't have to say all that. I was like, I know what you're going to wear today. Made my point pretty well. I asked her if she'd come in the first service, stand up here the whole time, but... You know, we, we do that a lot because we are identifying with the team. We're, we're proud of that team. Even when they lose, what's the rest fall to something else? We're still supporting them. We're excited. Why? We, we are boasting in them. We are identifying with them. So how does that translate here? Where Paul is saying his boast, his identity, is in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what he identifies with more than anything else. Now, that's what he points to. That's what he wants to be linked to. That's what he's holding tight to and firm to. In fact, Paul says he's lost everything else. That there's nothing else worth boasting about. And why is that for Paul? Because Paul has come to a right understanding of the gospel that the Judaizers have missed. And if we're not careful, we miss it as well. See, the Judaizers had a wrong understanding of the gospel. They thought the gospel was about them and what they had done. So what did they boast in? Themselves. Look at us. Look at what we've done. And if we're not careful, we do the same thing. So often we, in our faith, we talk more about the external and the numbers. And whatever else we might boast in or have to boast in. Instead of just talking about Christ. I've had the opportunity to do a lot of funerals in our community. And I have the great privilege of doing funerals for brothers and sisters in Christ that are members of this church. And at times I've called on to do funerals for those who don't have a church home, this or any other. And so many times, and really this comes in both those contexts at times, so many times I'll... I'll ask a person, especially when, you know, I, I didn't know their family member, their loved one. I'll ask them, and I'll say, you know, tell me a little about their faith. And you find out what they identified with real quick. More often than not, the answer I get to that question is, well, they, they were baptized at such and such church. That they were a member over here. Now, I don't know if they ever, that they've gone to that church a lot. But I know they were a member at such and, or maybe they were a member here. You know, when they were nine years old, they, they walked an aisle and they signed a decision card. 
and they hold on to these things that really don't tell you anything about that person's faith. But then there are those times when, when you hear testimony of those who cling to the cross and had a right understanding of it. And I think that's what Paul's got here. It's what we desperately need. For example, Romans 6.23 tells us this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think Paul had a clear understanding of what this meant. That the, the wages. We, we are at a point in the year where a lot of us just got in our mailbox a, a W-2. It's a, it's a wage statement. You open it up, you got all the boxes there filled in, and it tells you this is what you this is what you were paid for your work last year. You might think you deserve more, maybe you deserve less, but this is what you were paid. This is what it was deemed that you earned for your work. Oh, a wage is something you earn for something you've done. Notice what Paul says here in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. So let's imagine you go to your mailbox this week and you receive a very different wage statement. And this one relates to your soul. And, and you open it up. And there in front of you on that wage statement is box one. Your, your wage, what you've done, you, you've sinned. And what you have earned for that sin is death. Now, kind of like some do with their taxes, you might want to argue this a bit, <laughs> get creative. So maybe you look at that statement and you say, you know what, I, I'm really not that bad. <laughs> maybe maybe I, if I compare my, my eternal wage statement, my Romans 6.23 statement to somebody else, I'm sure mine looks a lot better. In fact, there's a whole lot worse people out there. Maybe I don't even file this year, they won't notice. We think we can just kind of slide under the radar because our sin's not that bad. Romans 6.23, though, says that the wages of sin, not certain sins, not too many sins, the wages of sin. Sin is our rebellion against God. You, you may look fine on the outside and, and you're desperately in sin. That this was a confusion for the Judaizers. So, for example, the Judaizers, much like the Pharisees in their day, would say, well, uh, the Scripture says, don't murder, and I haven't murdered, so I'm okay. So then Jesus comes and says, what about murder? <laughs> says, well, actually, there's a heart issue here. So, so in your heart, in your mind, if you've ever just called somebody a fool, well, you're a murderer. Well, that changes things drastically, doesn't it? I think I've called ten people a fool this morning in my head. How about you? Give me to the rest of the day and see what happens. I mean, in our mind, I mean, again, I've asked this before. Anybody want to volunteer just to let us know every thought that goes through your mind for a couple of days? I, I don't. I won't. I like job security. That would lose it all right there. The, the scripture goes even deeper than this, though. It says we are desperately wicked we don't even know our own heart that wage statement rightly says to us we have sin and we deserve God's eternal wrath but 
But, he says, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift. Well, there's something we get in the mail a lot, isn't it? There's always something. Here's a free gift. Small print, if you do all this. Here's something free for you. Just come by and sign up for this. You'll get this. Here's something free if. But, but in God's economy, there's no small print. There's no ifs here. He says it's a free gift. There's no catches. And so Paul rightly understood that his salvation wasn't a result of his own righteousness. What he deserved was the wrath of God in his best religious zeal. He deserved God's wrath. But God gave him a free gift and it was eternal life in Christ Jesus. How, how do we receive this? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith. <laughs> There's a word, grace. Pastor Matt did an excellent job last Lord's Day preaching to us from Colossians. He, he did a good job unpacking this. If you were here, he gave an illustration of, of a daughter who stayed out too late. And father, the next morning, takes her out to a fancy restaurant, buys her jewelry, does all these things, and talked about how that teaches about grace and mercy. And last Lord's Day was different for me. Normally I'm up here, but I was down there, and so... As many of you have already been doing, my kids are writing me notes. One of the girls just writes, if I stay out late, will you do that? <laughs> we took some time afterwards to have a discussion. <laughs> just throw a little doctrine at you this morning. I said, well, no, I, I think that would be a better opportunity to talk about substitutionary atonement. See, what that means is that that Jesus bore our wrath on the cross. He stood in our place. He took the wrath we deserved. So I said, in your case, that means whoever this young man was, I'm going to take out all the wrath on him that you deserve. <laughs> I can go with that. <laughs> See, Paul says here, it's, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. God, God put all his wrath on Jesus on the cross that you and I deserve. Every single bit of it. And what the scripture says is that Christ was him who knew no sin. He, he didn't deserve that. But he took it in our place. And so there's this wonderful, beautiful, great exchange on the cross. Jesus dies in our place. And then we receive his righteousness. And it's a free gift. And we've done nothing to earn it. And there's nothing we've done that deserves it. And God in his grace bestows it upon us. And he says, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works. So that no one may boast. So there's nothing for us to boast about. Paul understood this. He understood his efforts, his work had 0% to do with his salvation. So there's nothing for him to boast in. He could only boast in the cross of Jesus. And friends, if you have come to a true understanding of God's grace, His unmerited favor, of what it means to be saved, to be rescued, of what it means to have faith, to place your full trust in Jesus, then you know there's nothing for you to boast in either. Except for the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in verse 15, so, so circumcision, non-circumcision, they don't count for anything. It's just a new creation. So, so our, our testimony, our boasting, when the final curtain comes down, 
what, what our family communicates to the preacher who's doing the funeral. It's not about, well, uh, at this age I signed a decision card. At this age I prayed a prayer. At this age I got wet in the church. Now, now those things can have great significance, but if we get them out of place, they can be greatly deceiving. Because if we start to say, well, that's what saves us, then we completely miss out on the gospel. Because the gospel says, no, that which saved is what Christ did. And our call in response to what Christ did is to repent and to turn from sin. And hear me on this. There are going to be people in the day of judgment who stand before a holy God and they say before God, but I was a member of Bloomfield Baptist Church. And our Lord will say, depart from me, I never knew you. That there will be people who say, well, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? I went on mission trips and I, I served as a deacon and I taught Sunday school and I did all this in your name. And according to the words of Christ, he will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. And if that doesn't wake you up, wake me up. See, that's what's at stake here. So the call to the Scripture this morning is not, well, let's just shine things up and let's just look a little better and let's just put on a religious face. The call is to really consider the state of our eternal soul. Have I indeed trusted in Christ? Have I repented? Is, is there tangible fruit in my life that I'm clinging to the cross of Christ? Or does my life look no different than the world around me? You notice what Paul says here in verse 14 about his life and the fruit of it. He says, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He, he had died to it. So you hold it out for him. You say, Paul, but, but if, you'll just, if you'll just stop being so zealous about the cross, if you'll just kind of come over here with us and affirm some of these things we're saying to the Galatians, then... Paul, we can get you a pretty good position. We, we can take care of that, that ailment you've got. We've got access to the best doctors money can afford. We can take care of you, Paul. You don't have to worry about no shipwrecks and snake bites and beatings and stonings, imprisonments. Paul says, no, this world's dead to me. See, this is the call to Christ. Some of you know the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said it well when Christ calls a man, he calls him to come and die. We, we die to the things of this world and we are made alive to the things of God. God changes our appetite so no longer do we just constantly desire that which the world has to offer, but now we have an appetite for that which will glorify God. And there's no human explanation for that it is a work of the spirit of god think about lyrics i heard 20 25 years ago a song i used to hear often it said something to this effect this world has nothing for me and this world has everything all that i could ever hope for 
and nothing that I am. Friends, that, that's the testimony of a changed heart. Are you holding on to this world or are you dying to this world? We read it this way in 1 John 2. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. See, the world will never, can never give us that which God gives. Only God can bring us the peace. And so that's the, the question for us as we conclude our study in this letter. Point three there in your outline. Do you have peace with God? Do you have this peace? Look at verse 16. Paul writes, and as for all who walk by this rule, what, what, what is this rule? <laughs> I thought the whole point was not to live according to a bunch of religious rules. It says, who all by walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So he says, okay, if you'll walk by this rule, you'll have peace with God. What, what is this rule? Pastor John Piper says it well. He says it this way. None of us will be saved because we are perfect or because we've done anything to earn God's approval. The peace of God and the mercy of God are free gifts purchased on Calvary for all who walk by this rule. The rule of Christ's exaltation, not self-exaltation. Right standing with God is not merited by works. It is given freely to those who glory in the work of of Christ on the cross. That this rule then, those who walk by it are those who have put all their hope, all their faith, all their trust in the cross of Jesus Christ. And who have turned their back on this world and the things of it, who repent and grieve over sin in their life. They don't laugh about it. They grieve it. They want to dig it out. They want to gouge it out. They want it to be gone. They desperately want to live for God's glory. That is what their desire is. Why? Because that's the heart God has given. Paul says those who live according to this rule of seeking to exalt Christ and not themselves, that's who has eternal life in Christ. That's who has peace with God. That's who's received the mercy of God. That, that's whose sins have been forgiven. Every sin in the past, every sin in the present, every sin in the future, they have been made clean. They've been covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And therefore, He is their desire. And notice what Paul says here. He says that, that this peace with God, it'll cost you something. It'll bring you trouble. Verse 17, he says... Let no one cause me trouble. <laughs> What's he saying there? He's saying, you've caused me trouble. In fact, he says in other places, he's got trouble from his own people, trouble from the Gentiles, trouble from all kinds of people. All this trouble because he's clinging to the cross. But what does he say here? Let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. 
Paul knew what it was to be persecuted for the cross of Jesus, and that persecution left marks. Countless beatings, stonings nearly to death, constant danger and hardship from his own people, from Gentiles, and from false brothers. And do you know what Paul said about these things? 2 Corinthians 12.10 For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul doesn't say here that, you know, I just I put on my, my shirt that said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and I went and I, to the gym and I put up another 20 pounds. You know, I can just do stuff because of Jesus. Now, Paul says here, I have literally lost it all for the sake of Jesus. And that's fine with me. I'm content. Hardships? Okay. Countless beatings, stonings to death, near death? Okay. False accusations, imprisonments, ultimately being killed for the sake of the gospel? I'm okay. Why? Because I'm weak, but in his weakness, that's when he sees the strength of Jesus Christ in his life. It's when he clings so desperately to the cross because there's nothing else left to cling to. And in clinging to that cross, he had peace with God. Do you have this peace this morning? Are you holding on to the cross and nothing else or... Or friend, are you holding on to the things of this world? I mean, just take a moment to be honest with yourself. When I start going through that list of things the world can offer, I mean, really, if, if you could have the money, power, prestige, health, perfect relationships, family, if it was all there for you, and if deep down, if you're honest, if you're saying, you know, I, that's kind of what I'd rather have. And friends, you were under a satanic delusion. And you're about to lose your soul. We should stop and very soberly consider what are we indeed living our life for? Is it for our sake or for the sake of the gospel? And friends, if you are not living for the sake of the gospel today, then the call on your life is to repent. I don't know that I'll preach another sermon. I don't know that I'll wake up tomorrow morning. I've not been promised the next 10 minutes. And neither have you. And, and I don't say that as some scare tactic of, well, you just better do this right now, and if you don't do this, you can never... No, what I'm saying is, wake up! <laughs> and just understand that God and His grace to you has given you this day the gospel and has called you to respond to it. And you're not promised that another day. And only the work of the Spirit can bring you to this point. But, but if that is a sobering reality for you, where you are now having a different appetite, and you're saying, man, I, I want the things of God, and, and I want to flee from these things, then the call is this. Repent and turn to the cross. And here's the promise. 
God says, if you will confess Christ as Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then, then you'll be saved. It says Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And you can experience life anew. And it certainly doesn't mean that life this side of eternity will then get so much better for you. In fact, it may get worse by the world's standards. But God promises for those who are His that promise of eternal life and peace and all that eternity in His glory has to offer. 2 Corinthians 6 In a favorable time I listened to you and in a day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Will you repent? Will you trust in Him? If you would stand together as I pray for us. Father, we are, we are so easily distracted by the things of this world because, because we hold tightly to them. Lord, I pray you would do a work that you are doing, a work among us today. I pray that, that you would do what only the Spirit can do, that, that blind people would see, that deaf people would hear, that, that the unbelieving would believe. I pray, God, that you would bring men and women and children among us today to faith and to salvation. I pray, God, for those who are, who are struggling in a faith they have, who are, who, who are holding on to sin in this world and things of this world. Lord, I pray that they would truly repent and let go of those things. Lord, I pray that we would cling to the cross and that we might experience just the glorious beauty of the cross in our lives and what it means to hold fast to it. That this is a work, Lord, that only you can do. We ask that you would in the name of Christ. Amen.